This was a fun episode, and it's powered by SoRare, thanks to our partnership with Rug Radio. But more on that later. Uh, enjoy the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back into the Buster Show podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, and that is Billy McFarlane. Before we get into Billy's story, Billy, first, thanks, thanks for being on the show, man. Yeah, great to be here. Buster, thank you, and let's have some fun. So first things first, I was telling you I'm, I'm into collectibles. I like to give every guest something that I think is unique to them that you probably don't even know exists until this very moment. So what I'm giving you to start this episode off is a VIP pass to the very first Coachella, 1999, when the first Coachella happened. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. There, there were no regular tickets, so you won't find a Coachella ticket out there. The only thing you'll find is are these VIP passes. So I'm going to get this to you through our mutual friend, uh, Omid, who set this up. And uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, you thank you very much. That's incredible. <laughs> really, really cool. You got it, man. I, I think collectibles, uh, you know, they bring some fun emotion out of us. And that's why I like to start these off with a fun gift. Hilarious. When we do the uh, Fire Festival 1.5, I will make sure to, to frame one of the tickets for you. So maybe in 10 years, you can look back and, and, and say it's a collectible. I love it. Speaking of collectibles, do you have any of the old like Firefest merch? I'm sure that's very hot in demand. So, no, I had to give everything I had left to the government. And they actually auctioned it off while I was in jail. And it just like, went for crazy prices. We had hoodies going for like 1000 bucks. And like these dad hats for literally hundreds of dollars. So definitely hot merch and wish I had some. Wow. Yeah, they did. They did pretty well on those auctions, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. That's funny. Um, how, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Good. It's been like a, almost a year since I went to the halfway house and just over six months since my sentence really ended. So Kind of crazy. Definitely feels like a lot's changed in the past six months, but it's like still super early and just kind of getting back to the game. So I think one interesting thing, I listened to a bunch of podcasts that you did before this uh, in preparation. And one of the most interesting things that I picked out of it, and I think is probably a common misconception, is that the Firefest failing had nothing to do with why you went to jail. Um, you know, yeah. and that fact and that it was actually from, you know, what you said to investors. Um, and I, I, I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, I guess the question off the back of that is, uh, what do you th consider, like, in some sense that Firefest wasn't a failure because of how big of a story and how much of a memory it was for so many people? Or how do you sort of compartmentalize it so many years out of it now? Yeah, the, <clears throat> the issue is there are so many people who are owed. And yes, like owed monetarily, but there are people who are just like owed for the time and effort they put in and for like the trust they put into me. So I think there's like so much to do and so much to pay back in every sense of that, I haven't been able to grasp anything other than this like monstrous mountain of challenges I need to climb just to like 
get back to being stable again in life. So there's definitely a long road to go to making this a good thing in any sense of the word. So speaking of that, what, what is your plan to, you know, do that and, and make it right for those people and, you know, hopefully do a lot of fun things for a lot of people? Because I know that was your goal at the beginning of it. You definitely don't strike me as a malicious guy or anything like that. Yeah, so I think it's all kind of comes down to time. And I am very lucky that I'm 31 and hopefully have 30 years of working ahead of me. And it's just not realistic to try to think about paying back tens of millions of dollars in a couple of months. So everything I'm doing now is getting back to what I believe I'm good at and trying to set a foundation, get really good people around me so that in the next three, five, 10 years, I can really build something long-term and impactful that will help both people from before that I owe as well as everybody that I'm working with currently. Gotcha. Makes sense. When... Uh, when it was all going down, at what point did you realize that, uh, you know, maybe it should have been marketed differently or maybe, uh, you know, you should have shut it down or what was that point where things sort of shifted in your mind? Yeah. So I just like hindsight, obviously I was so wrong and should have realized many weeks, if not months in advance that weren't ready. I just had this one track mind at the time that no matter the challenge, like it was surmountable, like we're gonna figure this out and move on to the next. And I just couldn't take no for an answer. And I just couldn't listen to anybody who was telling me that like something was too big to stop this event and stop this festival. So yeah, just like just didn't have the experience and just didn't have the ability to zoom out and realize how big of a challenge it was to try and host thousands of people on a remote island in a couple of months. Just like wasn't possible. So sounds crazy. But... Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I feel like though, and I, I heard you talk about this, if it was marketed in a different way, uh, you know, that it was an experience that like you weren't yeah. equipped to handle this, uh, that, you know, people should only come if they want like a raw, like on the ground, you know, FEMA tent, you know, experience, then, you know, so, maybe it would have been different. No question. If and when this happens again, the marketing is going to be a total 180. It's going to be like, this is shit. Like it is raw. There's nothing here. And hopefully we can over deliver a little bit on those promises. But I think what was really interesting is that the entire way that we marketed it that I thought was so important actually became the biggest detriment. We were like trying to make something that seemed so luxurious and so nice that no matter how good of a job we did, it wouldn't have been good enough. And that's like a lose-lose battle. And I think we would have attracted the same crowd it made everybody like way more excited and way more into it. We were just honest and said like, look guys, there's this beautiful fucking beach in the middle of the Caribbean that is like totally amazing. Let's get 3000 really interesting people here for a weekend of good music and tons of adventure. And people have been like, fuck yeah, like let's go and not right. expecting something totally unrealistic. So while I thought the marketing was selling tickets, it was actually creating something that was impossible and really hurt the entire endeavor. What, what do you think is the, 
I guess, biggest lesson for other people that are starting companies and, uh, you know, just getting going in a wild endeavor of their own that maybe hasn't been done before is what would you sort of pass on to them? Because, you know, for them, it's not 2020 hindsight, you know, it's, it's looking forward. How do I plan and how do I build a company that helps people? What would you say to those people? I think I lost my ability to measure risk and at every level, the risks felt the same, but the magnitude of all of them were dramatically increasing. And I think that whenever you're starting from scratch, you need to take some level of risk that most people won't take to get on base. Then like once you're on base, you need to temper down that risk. And I didn't realize I didn't need to keep leveraging everything I had to get to the next level once I was already in the game. At the point where the festival was announced and it went viral and the whole world is calling and trying to get involved, like that should have been enough for like, all right, like I'm in it, like now let's make sure that we don't fuck anything up. But I just kept trying to push for more and more until more just became impossible just due to my abilities or, or lack of abilities. And the financials of the festival, that is how I know that you're not a malicious guy because uh, didn't wasn't the festival planned out to cost $40 million. Yeah. And the cost just, uh, I'm terrible with like managing budgets. And <laughs> there have been so many people who asked me like over the past six months, like, Hey, like how much money were you trying to get before you just stopped? And like, I just like, look at them like they're crazy. And it was never about the money. Certainly spent every dollar I had, every dollar I could find, whether that was from investors or from customers to try to make this a reality. I just had no grasp at managing any budget, but like literally in the days before the festival, I think like $5 million came out of my account, like on festival expenses, like in maybe 72 ish hours before the event. So clearly thought wrongly for sure up until the last minute that things were going to work out. So the cost was estimated to be around 40 million and you were expecting yeah. to make like 10 million. Is that right? I like, we were so far off. I, I it became a point where it's like, fuck what we're going to make. This brand is going to be huge. So let's just find any possible way to get an extra, you know, $2 million today and $2 million tomorrow and $2 million the next day together to make this thing actually work and just like not worry about the overall cost. So it just sounds, sounds so stupid, but I'm just so dead set on making it work like no matter the cost. But hey, the brand is bigger than if it went well. I will say that. And I hope yeah. that, that will help you be able to, you know, pay all those people back because the brand is very, I mean, the auction is a perfect example. And I use collectibles to measure the popularity of a lot of things, right? How much, how great is an athlete? Okay. Uh, it's pretty accurate to, uh, it's different for living and, and uh, athletes that are gone, but like Michael Jordan's signatures are the most. Yeah. Michael Jordan's the goat. Uh, you know, you judge brands and events, uh, Astro World, Travis Scott, you know, it sells for a lot of money because people love his events, Firefest stuff for better or worse, obviously sold for a lot. So there's financial mm -hmm. demand for said product. Um, how much do you think about, you know, sort of that, that brand still being around and what you want to do that? Cause I know you're, and we'll, we'll talk about this too, but you're working on some new stuff now, separate from that. I think it's like. The benefit is it gives me a chance for whatever I build next. And the caveat there is whatever the real next project is needs to be 
so much more impactful on a worldwide and positive level than anything Fire was trying to be. Like, I just can't do a music festival again. Like that in itself is not the right way to take the after effects and take the brand. However, it's been this like weird shift, at least in like the tech entrepreneurial world where I operate in, that software has gotten easier to create over the past handful of years. And now it's this battle for attention. So this was totally different than before I went to jail, where at the time it was all about like getting the best engineers together. And now as like software becomes more productized and something that more people can do, it's shifting back to the need for attention. And I'm lucky enough that this opportunity will give attention to the next project if the next project genuinely is good enough and warrants the attention. People do love a comeback story, you know? Yeah. That's definitely true. So I heard you were reading about AI in jail. What were you reading? So I think my favorite AI book in jail is called AI 2040. And it was like an interesting like combination of a prediction of future technology with like fiction short stories of how that technology could actually like impact our lives. Um, and that was pretty wild. Uh, I think the like, overarching belief is that like AI is going to like replace humans writing software. So this whole notion that everybody needs to be a software engineer in the next 10 years, I think is going to go the way of machines writing software and humans now competing for attention amongst that software. What are your thoughts about AI? Do you, are you of the belief that it's going to take over everything, take everyone's job? What sort of role in society do you think AI plays? Yeah, it's, I think it's hard to, I think short term, it'll certainly be a detriment to the economy, but long term, as with most technology, will create opportunity. So I don't know. And I feel like with most of the biggest like technological innovations the past like 20 or 30 years when I've been alive, the greater the fear, the greater the potential positive impact is as well. And I think the fear of AI is like equivalent to the fear of the internet in the early days. Sure. And we all saw like how that totally changed our lives. So I think it's really interesting if you just measure it by like the correlation between fear and impact. It's true. Yeah. People were afraid of uh, mathematicians hated the invention of the calculator. Yeah. You know, and like the more scared the average person is like the greater the potency of that project. And I think that's interesting. Yeah. One of the things that I've, I've just hated though, is just like the fear mongering that media has been doing with uh, chat GPT and other softwares. Like if you actually use it, it can do everyone good. Yeah. Uh, no, like I am of the, I'm of the belief that I believe AI will solve, cure every disease, cure every yeah. problem. Like, I think these are all real things and everyone will one by one come around to it when it positively impacts their life. Uh, I, I'm not of the group that thinks it's going to take over the world and like horror movie style, um, which is fun. But how, so how are you utilizing uh, you know, AI and uh, the new tech and software that's been out since you got out of jail? I just think like everything I'm building is in between the worlds of tech and entertainment. Uh, I think this will piss a lot of people off, but I feel like a majority of the stars of tomorrow are going to either be AI assisted or AI based talent. And I think AI entertainers like don't get tired. They don't complain. They don't become overpriced. They can be in 50 cities at the same time. 
I think it's going to be very, very interesting to see how emotionally fans react to a star that is either assisted by AI or entirely AI based and whether or not the makers of that AI can tell a good enough story that we have the same emotional reaction to an AI star as we do to a Taylor Swift. Well, it's no different than like a cartoon character or SpongeBob, right? It's just, exactly. It's just intellectual property. Exactly. And that is so, interesting. It's going to be really interesting how the emotional bonds between humans and AI personalities can be created. And I think the storytellers who can do that the best are going to be the ones who reap the biggest windfall in the years to come. So what are you working on now for, for people who haven't been following? What, what, what gets you the most excited these days about, you know, building companies? Because you could be doing basically anything, um, yeah. you know, with your time now. What, what, uh, what excites you the most about what you're doing? So like short term, have a shitload of bills to pay, right? And like people to pay back. So just doing a lot of marketing consulting work for venture funded companies, just helping them create the moment that like gets them on base. So that's around half the time. And the other half the time is working on my next company, which is called Pirate. And Pirate's all about how these new emerging technologies can allow people from around the world to come together and actually impact real world change. So this is starting with a really small version of this, which is that Pirate will take over a small hotel in a tropical area will host like music artists and other entertainers at this hotel to draw like the overall interest. But really the entire area and island will be mapped out and available virtually in real time. So no matter where you are in the world, you can virtually come to the island and actually build and change what's happening there. So it will take someone who maybe hasn't even left their state or their country and allow them to own a piece and actually build on this like magical remote island with some of the biggest people in the world they follow. It sounds like a mixture between Club Penguin and Firefest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like Ready Player One meets Firefest. Yeah, yeah. That's fun. Um, yeah. yeah, I saw online people were pissed off that you did like some speaking gig, but I don't understand that because you're paying back, you know, the dues that you owe. Um, so the, the thing I just don't understand and the number one negative comment I get is some variation of how are you allowed to do this when you still owe $26 million? And I haven't responded, but I don't have $26 million like under my mattress. And the only way that people can get paid back is if I go and work. So if you want me to pay people back, which is so important to me, I have to go work to do it. But if you don't want me to work, no one gets paid back. So it's very, very frustrating that people don't seem to get that. I just don't have this money stashed away somewhere in Take it a quick break for more on our sponsor, SoRare. They're doing things that are absolutely changing the collectibles game. Now, when you play fantasy with your cards, you get 20 free commons when you sign up, first and foremost. Uh, and then playing the cards, those commons, you can win limited cards. And those limited cards can win you rare cards and super rare cards and unique cards. Some unique cards sell for over $100,000. And it all comes uh, for free to start through your 20 common cards. Or you can expedite the process and buy uh, limited and rares on the secondary. It's really cool. And once you have a card, you keep it forever. So as long as that athlete is playing, it is fair game. So if you're if you pick a good young player's card well today, 
Uh, you could be benefiting from that through playing that card in leagues. And the more rare it is, the more points it gives you boost. Uh, all the info to join is in the description below. Use our link and get 20 free commons today and a uh, free limited when you buy five on the secondary. So without any further ado, back to the episode. Shout out so rare. Well, I think it's by saying things, even in mediums like this, that helps get that message across because, yeah, it's, yeah. it's totally hypocritical. Um, you know, like I, everyone should be rooting for those people to get paid back and then rooting for you to have a, a redemption story and, you know, create some stuff that's, um, that's valuable for people. But uh, one thing I, I also... People, I wish they'd be like, I wish people would yell at me like, work harder, do more. But instead they're like, wait, why are you doing this? You shouldn't be able to do anything. It's like, it's like no, you should like make me work harder to pay more people back. It makes no sense. Yeah, yeah, it makes zero sense. <laughs> makes no uh, sense. One thing that I, I thought was interesting um, in, in across a, a few of the interviews um, is really like, both the learnings uh, from the festival, but also how you're, you know, applying some of those same concepts over over to this new stuff that you're building. How how are you gonna keep sort of some of the stuff that happened there there, and mm. what are you changing in like your whole life? Like, was there stuff that you learned? Like, obviously, you did a lot of reading, and mm. uh, obviously, you know, had a lot of time to think. Like, what? What has changed for you to now be like laser focused and, and take the next step and, you know, doing things right? Knowing myself has definitely helped and jail is awful. However, there are very few points in any adult's life where you can have four years where you're not allowed to work. Right. And there's very few people in their mid twenties to mid fifties in those prime working years where you're forced to sit on the sideline for that long. And there is a lot of benefit <clears throat> in that self like reflection. So it's really learning what you're good at and what you're bad at. <clears throat> and then also it's realizing that like you need help and you can't do it alone. And I think the biggest difference between now and before beyond what I hope is like some sort of personal maturation and growth is the type of people that I am working really hard to build a life and a business with. And it's finding people who are able to remind me of the areas where I'm absolute dog shit and to step in and like really help and make sure those are handled properly. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, what, what did you spend most of your time doing while, while in jail and did it? Cause it's like, from my perspective, it's like the closest thing to being in a coma that's not a coma? Like what yeah. what changed that you weren't aware of from when you went in and when I, I know you're, you you talked about AI and you know how when you came out there are new ways to capitalize on that, um, you know, for some of the new businesses that you're building, but was there anything else like in the world? Like, I don't know if you're a sports fan or anything, but like, oh, you know, this team won. Like, were there any areas where you were disconnected that was a surprise to you? So one thing, just like <clears throat> real quick that you said, which is really smart, like about the coma line, there was a guy in jail who told me one time that this is the closest to being in a grave without actually being dead. And that rang so emotionally true. And I think it's just pretty similar to what you said. So, you know, really astute of you to, to come up with that. Um, the New York Jets still suck. And like, I'm a huge fan. So that didn't change well, you much. Guys, you guys just 
Well, I don't know if it's done yeah, yet. Oh, yeah. We, we will, and whatever. And, yeah. and next few weeks, hopefully, we'll, it'll be official. We'll jinx we'll that. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, we'll see. Um, so, I ha- we got newspapers in jail. And uh, at some points, there was TV. So, there's, like, daytime, you know, news television. Um, I think, like, the political polarization is definitely a little bit different and missed a lot of like the social movements that came as a result of the political polarization. Um, I think the whole like woke culture definitely took on a life of its own, like over the past five to six years and missed a lot of that. And prison just inherently is very behind socially. So it's kind of like weird going from a system that seems like it was stuck in the 1960s to now like super woke Manhattan of 2022 or 2023. So yeah, definitely a little bit weird, like going between those two different universes. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Like this is, and I'm actually curious your thoughts on this, a little bit random, but like when people are judged for like tweets uh, from like their childhood in like 2013 or 14, when social norms were totally different, but being judged by today's standards, what do you sort of think about how, you know, that, that whole, how the whole world changed and now people are judging people in retrospect? I think it's tough. And unless someone, uh, I think unless someone is putting themselves in a, in a position where they are claiming to be morally superior than the rest, this, the whole like cancel culture I think generally stems more from the insecurity of those canceling than those canceled. And, you know, it's tough to see. And I get there are some of us or some people out there who claim to be superior morally or ethically, and then you kind of deserve to have your, you know, dirt thrown out publicly. But for everybody else, oftentimes it's like the ones who have the most to hide are are the loudest. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I just, it's like uh, it's like it's like anything else that changes. Like you know, I'm sure when when we were kids, uh, you know, you could go into a candy store and buy some buy some stuff with like a dollar, right? Yeah. Now you go in there with a dollar, you're walking out with nothing. Uh, Crazy. Things change. Yeah, you know, that's like a small thing, but the restaurant prices in New York since 2017 totally changed. <laughs> How so? Like inflation is crazy, right? Like you know, the average. Entree probably went up by 50-60% in the past six years. So kind of shocking to see. So yeah, that, that, that'll definitely be jarring if it doesn't happen slowly. <laughs> I know. It sucks to be a poor Billy right now, but getting through it. <laughs> um, so you're doing, uh, you're doing these, these consulting gigs and you're doing public speaking. Why, why, what is your pitch to them? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you had and I think what you said makes sense because you had a ton of success letting the world know about mm-hmm. Firefest, which in turn ended up in, I believe, FTC regulations being changed about how things mm-hmm. can be promoted and things like that. Um, so you, you lit, quite literally changed the game uh, with the promotion of that event. What are, what are you trying or what do they want from you? Sorry, so I think for the marketing, Literally since I was 13, I was like building and marketing online tech projects and companies. Um, and I was just like simply a realization that like, it's okay to just stick with that for now. If I'm good at marketing 
and I can work within the guardrails of a more mature company, like that's great. Like, let me focus on that. In terms of the public speaking, uh, I think it's like a weird intersection of tech and pop culture. And there are certainly far better technologists and there are certainly far more interesting like entertainers that you get to speak. But I think there are fewer who understand how both industries work and come together. And if I can kind of own that lane while providing like entrepreneurship do's and don'ts with like the anecdotes of pop culture, I think it just provides for like fun, entertaining and insightful commentary. Have you ever thought about just going full uh, content creator mode and just trying to, you know, show people and teach people and, you know, do your own podcast and uh, just do crazy super events through the lens of, of social as a way to build, you know, capital, especially considering the brand is there? Yeah, I, I thought about it. Um, doing some TV stuff, like filming a couple of TV shows, and I'm sure that's probably more along those lines. Uh, I just like had the itch to start getting back to software, though. And I know like it might sound crazy, but I just love the grueling 70-hour work weeks of like managing technology products. And maybe that'll change in four or five years, or maybe it won't. And it's just like really been like a discovery learning process for me, especially so early in the game right now. That's awesome. Um, what, you know, fast forward 10 years from now, what, what, what do you hope things are like for you? Yeah, I think like what keeps me going through all the times that I want to quit is the desire to go and like look everybody in the eye who I let down in 2017 and where nothing has to be said, but we both know like, yeah, I came back from it and made it all right. And that can mean paying them back financially. That can mean like being a really supportive friend for the next 10 years. That can mean providing value to their life in some way that I just can't do right now. But just having it be unsaid yet totally felt that I made up for all the wrongs that I did. And like that, there's just nothing more inspiring than that. Well, I think that's a good way to end it off. I'm rooting for you to do just that. Everybody else is, you know, that's listening to this is rooting for the same, I'm sure. So, Billy, uh, best of luck. We're here if, if there's anything I or, you know, we can do to help. And uh, thanks so much for coming on, man. We're going to get this uh, Coachella pass to you, and hopefully oh, you'll, you'll, you'll throw your own, uh, own Coachella one day. I will, I will put it up in my office for inspiration. So I love it. I love it. You got it. All right, everybody. See you next time. Peace.